Hello, I'm Johanna. I produced the episode you're about to hear. Happy Halloween week. So yesterday, our usual host, Dylan Thuris, spoke with writer Jamie Loftus about this town in Florida that's one of the last relics of a Victorian-era religion called spiritualism. And today, we're going to a graveyard, and we'll see a different side of spiritualism. You don't need to listen to yesterday's episode for this one to make sense, but it'll definitely give you another perspective. So I recommend it. All right, here we go. It's Halloween night, 1936. 300 people gather on the roof of the Knickerbocker Hotel in Los Angeles. In the center, a man and a woman sit in two high-backed chairs. On a table between them, a trumpet, a tambourine, and sitting on top of a silk pillow, a pair of handcuffs. They're here for a seance. Oh, thou disembodied spirits, we greet thee. And now, this is a night of nights. The world is listening. Harry, your world, your audience. Harry, we are all seekers after truth. Please manifest yourself by speaking through the trumpet. Lift it. Lift it. Speak through it. Speak. Speak, Harry. We are watching and waiting, Harry. This mysterious Harry isn't just any Harry. It's Harry Houdini, the famous illusionist who'd escaped padlocks and coffins and chambers full of water. Now, the crowd wants to see if he can perform his greatest escape yet, a return from the dead. Levitate the table. Move it. Lift the table. Move it. Wrap on it. Spell out a code, Harry. Please. Ring the bell. We want the evidence, the truth, in the name of humanity and love. If there is communication from the great beyond, come through with the evidence. I'm Johanna Mayer, and this is Atlas Obscura, a celebration of the world's strange, incredible, and spooky places. Today, we visit Houdini's grave, and we go searching for evidence of the great beyond. After this. If you're looking for a place where the wide open skies and the towering mountains inspire you to find an untapped part of yourself. You might want to take a trip to Wyoming. It's a place where bold, curious spirits forge their own way on all types of adventures. There is no shortage of iconic, expansive landscapes out there. You can discover breathtaking hikes, stunning state parks, authentic Western culture, and other historic sites— along with the tales of famous outlaws like Butch Cassidy and pioneers like Buffalo Bill Cody. The truth lies west. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave.
walking through the row of gravestones here. I'm in Machpelah Cemetery in Queens, New York. Here he is. It's a whole monument. It's maybe like almost 20 feet long. Um, there's a sculpture of a woman kneeling at it, sort of mourning. And then at the very top, there's this bust of Houdini himself. And it looks pretty good based on the pictures that I've seen, pretty accurate. And the bust looks a lot newer than the rest of the monument. Harry Houdini died on Halloween, 1926, exactly 10 years before that seance on the roof. He was best known for performing elaborate escapes, like clawing his way out of a coffin buried six feet under. But stunts like this aren't what killed him. After a show, a troubled fan punched him in the gut, hard. The theory goes he had some kind of existing stomach issue, maybe untreated appendicitis, and that, combined with the blow, killed him. 2,000 people attended his funeral, and he's still beloved today, 100 years after his death. He was a guy that really cared about humans and, and the rest of life and, you know, making life better for whoever he could. Dorothy Diedrich is a magician and escape artist, and she runs the Houdini Museum in Scranton, Pennsylvania. She's wriggled out of a straitjacket while suspended upside down 150 feet in the air, attached to a burning rope. She's performed the infamous bullet catch stunt, when an illusionist appears to catch a moving bullet in their teeth. Dorothy's loved Houdini since she found a book about him at the library as a kid. She had a rough childhood, and the idea of escaping made a big impression on her. But so did Harry's life outside of magic. When the United States went to war, he took a year off and did shows to benefit the Red Cross. Whenever he traveled and he saw a performer that was in, in bad shape and didn't have enough money to keep going, he would send them money. During the World War I era, he shared underwater survival techniques with the Naval Department, taught the military how to escape German handcuffs. And if he visited the gravesite of a magician who had died and it was looking a little shabby, he'd pay to spruce it up. There's many, many stories like that of him not just being a goofball that goes, does his show, gets paid and go home. So when Dorothy learned that Houdini's grave had been vandalized a number of times and the caretakers had just kind of stopped fixing it up, well, she channeled Houdini and decided to do something about it. We realized that if we ask someone and they say no, then we're criminals. But if we just go in like a bunch of goofballs, which we are anyway, and try to do something nice, you know, if we get stopped, then we just say, well, we just wanted to help, you know, and that's the truth. Dorothy and some partners cased the cemetery, even observed the staff's schedules to see when it would be the least busy. And then they just walked right in, in broad daylight, and mounted the new-looking bust that I saw when I visited the grave that day. It's like somebody placed some pennies on his grave in a kind of creepy seance-like pattern. wonder what he would have thought about that probably would have had some mixed feelings. It's true Houdini asked his wife Beatrice, or Bess, as she was sometimes called, to hold seances for 10 years after he was gone. But it wasn't some grand plan for love to transcend mortal bounds. The seances were Houdini's final play against a popular religious movement in the 1900s. 
spiritualism, or the belief that one can commune with the dead, became a nationwide phenomenon at the turn of the century. It began with a pair of sisters who performed in sold-out theaters in New York, communicating with the beyond via mysterious tapping and cracking sounds. It was later revealed that the strange cracking noises that accompanied their seances were nothing more than an uncanny talent for cracking their toe knuckles. And it may sound like harmless fun, but stunts like this were big business. The medium will say, oh, it's a very angry spirit. They can't rest. If you come back, we'll work on it. We'll get the forgiveness that you need and blah, 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 blah. So they had to get you to come back many times. And not only that, they need you to believe in them so much that you will bequeath your inheritance to them so that they can continue their holy work. In the wake of the Civil War and the 1918 flu pandemic, people were desperate. They would do or believe or pay anything to be able to talk to their dead loved ones again. And people took advantage of that desperation. There were several that would claim that they could contact the spirit of a widow, the spirit of her dead husband, in a physical way. they just have to go in the bedroom. It is awful. The thing is, they were just cold-hearted folks that were found a way to make a living by bilking the grieving widows and the grieving fathers and, and brothers, sisters, uncles. This made Houdini livid. See, the thing about Houdini was he never claimed to have special powers. He wasn't doing magic. What he was doing was pulling tricks. And for someone who'd built a career around illusions, he felt like the mediums were violating a code. Houdini said, don't you dare tell the world that I'm that way. I have no supernatural powers. I am super normal. I rehearse, I practice, and yes, I have special skills, but I am not a supernatural. He traveled around the country, giving lectures to debunk the spiritualists and recreating their tricks. In 1926, he even appeared before Congress to testify at a hearing for a bill to regulate fortune-telling. The room was packed with mediums and spiritualists, and in front of them all, Houdini revealed how they ran their schemes. He put the flared end of a trumpet up to the ear of a congressman to show how, when you're sitting in the dark— Mediums could make it seem like a spirit is whispering in your ear. The hearing lasted for four days, but in the end, the bill was shot down. Houdini died later that year. People want to know why in the world, if he didn't believe in it, why would he want his wife to do seances? So many people believed in it that Houdini figured after he died, the mediums would be having a field day, all getting messages from the great Houdini. So Houdini and Beatrice made a pact. Whoever died first would try to reach the other from the beyond. And they'd use a secret message, something only the two of them knew. The name of their favorite song, Rosabelle, and a cryptic code that spelled out the word, Believe. If she didn't have a special code and have her in charge of doing it, those mediums would all be claiming that they're contacting her husband and she would have no power against it. 
So that was the reason for that, was really to kind of fend off all those people who you know were laying waiting for him to go. Which brings us back to 1936, on the rooftop of the Knickerbocker Hotel. In the name of humanity and love, if there is communication from the great beyond, come through with the evidence! That night, the handcuffs stayed on the silk pillow. The table stood still. Houdini never appeared. Afterward, Beatrice was interviewed about that night's seance. Mrs. Houdini, the zero hour has passed. The ten years are up. Have you reached a decision? Yes. Houdini did not come through. My last hope is gone. I do not believe that Houdini can come back to me or to anyone. It is now my personal and positive belief that spirit communication in any form is impossible. The Houdini shrine has burned for 10 years. I now reverently turn out the light. Good night, Barry. Beatrice and the world had their answer. And maybe that's how Houdini planned it all along. When he failed to return from the dead, it was the ultimate proof, the final nail in the coffin to the spiritualists. And yet, after those 10 years, Beatrice didn't want the seances to end. She passed the torch to a writer and a friend of Houdini. And when the time came, that man passed it along to Dorothy. She's been holding the seances ever since. The reason why Bess wanted it continued was because she was able to tell his story every year. She loved her husband dearly. It's a way of honoring him, and she wanted to carry that on. There's a video of one of Dorothy's seances from 2020. She and her partner sat in a dark room. There were big, thick, red velvet curtains in the background and a candelabra on the table. There's a photograph of Houdini and his family and a little printing block leaned against it. Dorothy began talking to Houdini about a recent movie that was made about him. They have you dying doing the water torture cell. So I know that would irritate you, Houdini. So tell me, uh, you would be be happy. The little printing block just fell over. Was that a sign? I'm gonna prop it up just in case something else happened here. Was that you, Houdini? The block looks like somebody just went boom and knocked it over. So what was it? I don't know. I don't know. Was it Houdini? I still don't know. I cannot explain it. I cannot explain it. I don't think the printing block falling over was Houdini. I think things like that just happen sometimes. And maybe that skepticism is the Houdini in me talking. Houdini's grave is in Macpella Cemetery in Queens, New York, and the Houdini Museum in Scranton, Pennsylvania is open year-round. Our podcast is a co-production of Atlas Obscura and Witness Docs. The production team includes Dylan Therese, Doug Baldinger, Chris Naka, Camille Stanley, Willis Ryder-Arnold, Sarah Wyman, Manolo Morales, Baudelaire Seuss, Gianna Palmer, Tracy Samuelson, John Delore. 
Our technical director is Casey Holford. This episode was mixed by Luce Fleming. Our theme and end credit music is by Sam Tyndall. I'm Johanna Mayer, wishing you all the wonder in the world. See you next time. Witness Docs from Stitcher. The world isn't wide enough for those with an insatiable desire for discovery. The all-new 2024 Lincoln Nautilus Hybrid SUV offers the power and freedom to explore further and deeper than ever before. Intuitive, smart features ensure that you're always connected to the road ahead. Inside, a thoughtfully designed cabin immerses you in a universe that is all your own. The larger-than-life panoramic display spans the entire width of the cabin. It's customizable and interactive. Drivers can even personalize their backgrounds with a series of nature-inspired themes. This vehicle signals the arrival of an exciting new chapter for Lincoln. Discover more about the 2024 Lincoln Nautilus at Lincoln.com. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.